This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. So Pastor Taz kicked off this relationship series and reminded us that it is okay to be single, but not to be alone. That you should even be single in your marriage. Single as in whole, not single as in marital status. Single as in whole. He asked us, are we bushmen or are we in the garden of God's presence? Dr. McCorney came and talked to us about loving each other. Yeah. I must say that was quite a spanking. I had to change location of trees <laughs> and change the people I was talking to as well. And Pastor Taz came back and spoke to us about cover. Are you undercover? Pastor Taz, we had many undercover relationships and people that all of a sudden needed cover and are seeking cover. They were undercover, not undercover. So now they're trying to make the transition. I know some people were sending messages last week to say, you know you're my cover, right? <laughs> Today we're going to continue this series and I pray that this message would both bless you and challenge you not to settle in any area of relationship except for what God desires for you. While this relationship or this message may be uh, focused on relating between a man and a woman, I am sure the same principles can be applied in relationships in general. This message is not only for the single ones or the unmarried ones, but it is also for the married ones. Because I've noticed that there are some things that we do wrong in our journey to getting married that cause some issues that then come in our marriages that we may need to go revisit our foundations. And also, because if you are married, there is a group of people that feel like you have arrived. So whenever they see you with a ring, they are looking at you and saying, mentor me, mentor me, mentor me. I want you to be my cover. Because just because you are married and they are not, they feel like, hey, yeah, they are there. <laughs> the title of my message today is Relationship Poison. <laughs> what do you mean, Asia? We're going to look at some things that can potentially kill our relationships. I decided to call this relationship poison and not relationship killers because a killer kills. But poison has the potential to kill. If the antidote is not administered in time, it can kill. But just because there is poison or venom in your body doesn't mean that you're going to die. There is still an opportunity for redemption. The 2018 word Pastor Tom says, it is the, the year to see the wall of opposition and receive breakthrough. So today we're going to talk about some of the things that have been opposition to us. And I believe that as we look at them, some people will be helped, ministered to, and that ultimately deliverance shall take place. I want us to turn to Numbers 21, verse 4 to 9. Numbers 21, verse 4 to 9. Speaking of the Israelites, it says, Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food, no water, and our soul loads um, this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the, Israel, many of the people of Israel died. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, Hey, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. 
So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and so it was. If a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. This story here shows us that the children of Israel caused poison to come into their camp. But by turning back, by looking at unto that uh, bronze serpent on the pole, they were healed or they did not die. So no matter what poison there has been in relationships for you, current and past, there is an opportunity to make a change. Now I spoke about how there's a certain group of people that as long as you've got a ring on your finger, they feel like you've arrived. I want to start by making a statement that is obvious, but is many times missed. The goal of a relationship is not getting married. The reason that you would get into a relationship, courtship or whatever, is not that you get married. (laughs) The goal really is to fulfill God's purpose for marriage. So the goal is not to get married, the goal is actually marriage. Because getting married is an event. It is an event. (laughs) See, we, (laughs) we put so much money into an event, so much planning into an event, wedding planner, committee, this, that, and more, But when it comes to what's more important, which is marriage, we just just walk into it like we're walking into something, anything. We just walk into it like, ah, whatever, man. Let's see what this holds for us. No! That that should be the focus. That should be the focus. Why why, why did God bring about marriage? Oh, I picked three things. God's purpose of marriage is to bring companionship, a helper, oneness. Why? Why? That we may fulfill the mandate he gave to man when they were both male and female in the beginning, which is to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. So that is why we have marriage, to bring about a a oneness, a helper, a companionship, to be able to fulfill that purpose. See, if it was just about getting married, we could have marriages, or not even marriages, we could people get married right now. You could look, into, look to your neighbor and ask them, hey, if they're a man and you're a woman, ask them, hey, are you eligible? If they are, then what stops you? Because, auntie, we just want to get married. That's our goal, right? See, we, 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 we can tell that it's your goal because when you speak to you, you are just talking about, I think I can get married to this person. Uh-uh. That's not it, guys. It's not about getting married. Anyone can get married. People are getting married right now. It, it drunk in Vegas and are getting married right now. But is that the goal? Because they wake up in the morning from the movies we watch and they're like, oh, what did we just do? The goal is marriage. Marriage. And we need to understand the purpose because when the purpose of something is not known, abuse is inevitable. See, sometimes it's us, the married people, who cause the Ishmaels, the Ishmael marriages to happen. Because we begin to ask people, when are you getting married? Every time I see you, when are you getting married? 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 (laughs) About two years ago, while receiving the offering on a Sunday morning, I made a statement. And on the Tuesday, at 5.47 a.m., 
We were approaching, I was with Pastor Tom driving his car, we were approaching the robots at Prince Edward on the Tuesday afterwards. I remember this day vividly. Because he asked me a question, he says, Milton, what did you mean? What was the biblical basis of this statement that you made? Woo! When the senior pastor asks you that question, you know, you can't, you can't just fudge a biblical response. I explained where I was coming from, and he said to me, I understood what you were saying. I understand it now. But you must realize that a lot of people are literalists. So they will take things exactly as you have said. So what I began to realize was that, and why it was so important to me, that the things that I say to people, the statements that I say while up here, have an impact because some people may just take them at face value. So you are going around and saying, when are you getting married? When are you getting married? Now they cross the road when they see you because they know what the question is that's coming. What you are creating in their mind is a goal which is to get married. So now when they are now looking at a partner, looking at someone potential, what they are looking out for is, can I get married? Not can I have a marriage with this person. It's can I get married? So that's what they want, to just get married. So they look at things, okay, is he financially stable? To afford Rora. Not, 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 not for the after. It, it, it becomes about the goal of getting married. Let us begin maybe to change our conversation. I couldn't think of anything better than this statement to ask someone who's still single. When are you increasing your rate of return? Because the Bible tells us that two are better than one for their, they have a better return. So when you begin to ask different questions, now when they're looking at someone, they're looking at, okay, fine, can I increase my rate of return? Can I be fruitful? Can I multiply? Can I fill the earth? Can I subdue it with this person? Not, can they marry me? The thing is, if we do that, then once we're married, that's it. The project is over. I have to rush, so I won't give an example I wanted to give you there. But the second thing I want to say, which is a poison, is pressure versus principle. When it, comes to two, when it comes to pressure, there are two types of pressure that I've observed, external pressure and internal pressure. First Corinthians 14.10 tells, tells us that there are many voices in this world, and each of them has significance. So what happens is that we can get bombarded by voices around us that are telling us what to do, asking us these questions. When are you getting married? Have you seen this girl? Have you seen? Have you considered? Have you seen? Have you considered? Have you seen? Have you considered? And I remember a couple of years ago at an action uh, conference at the men's session, Pastor Tom, dif uh, he, he differentiated between pressure and stress. He says pressure allows us or makes us uh, uh, perform at a higher level. But the result of unmanaged pressure is stress. If you look, okay, some of you are like, yeah, I mean, you were excited when I was saying to the married people, stop saying, uh, are you, uh, when are you getting married? But you see, the issue is not with the, really with the married person. Because if you cannot withstand pressure, your life is going to be hard. 
If you cannot withstand external pressure, I can tell you now that your life is going to be hard. In Genesis 16 verse 1, what happens is that Abraham has this great promise, but they cannot have a child. And then what then happens is Sarah says, take my maidservant, take, take my maidservant, this one, and have a child with her. And hey, like only obedient man, the husband agreed. <laughs> and they had a child. But if you look a few chapters later, Sarah then turns around and says, her and her child must go. And Genesis 21, 11 tells us that this was a very displeasing issue to Abraham. It was now stress, and he actually had to send them away. But why did Abraham not say to his wife, wait, God did not say anything about a third party. Why could he not withstand the pressure? You see, here's the thing with pressure. People will ask you now, when are you having a girlfriend? When will you have a girlfriend? Then after you have a girlfriend, they're like, ah, oh, you have a girlfriend. So when are you getting married? After you get married, they're like, ah, oh, you're married. Where are the kids? Where are the kids? Then you have one kid. They grow for a little bit. They leave you for a little bit. Then they come and they say, your kid is lonely. I think you should have another kid. Then you have twins, and now they start defining what a quiver is. You, you are not yet done. It's, no, 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 please, guys. No pressure. No pressure. But the truth is that there is a worse kind of pressure, which is internal pressure. Ecclesiastes 9.11 says, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not the swift, nor the battle of the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor riches to the man of understanding, nor favor to man of skill, but time and chance happen to them all. I want to do a quick survey because we're running out of time. A section, right in the front here. What's the appro- what, when is it too late for a girl to get married? When should they get married by? I see, I hear 26. What about this section? 40. Okay, what about this section? 30. What about that section? 40. What about that section? There is no consensus because there is no sell by date. See, the problem is that we have defined that ladies should be married by a certain age, and that's your expiry date. And if you're a man and you're above a certain age and you're not married, there's something wrong with you. So we've caused people to have internal pressure, and then the people themselves start looking around. But everyone around me is getting married. So? Again, getting married. Maybe some have just settled and scraped the bottom of the barrel just to get married, but now you're envious of them. You see, in Shona, they say, what covers the house is the roof. <laughs> so you are, you are busy get, getting envious of someone who is close to hell. As most of you know, I've got twins, Josh and Kana, a boy and a girl. Now, what's interesting about watching these two grow is that we realize that they are very different. Josh started sitting, running, crawling, and doing all sorts of things way before Kana, who is our daughter. And to be honest, I, I, I got a bit concerned and said, okay, what's going on with Kana? Why is she not, you know, until we, 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 we went somewhere and then, not, not for that, we're, you know, just a checkup. And they said that, you know what, your daughter is more cognitively developed while your son is more physically developed. Both developing, but different. They, these guys were born on the same day, live in the same house, same room, eat the same food, have the same parents, have the same everything, but they are very different. 
What about you and I? Why should we compete? Why should we compare? Run your own race. The most dangerous people to get into a relationship are those that say they are ready for marriage. Let me explain. I, I, I got this picture when I was in the gym with Pastor Tommy and I was, I was done, I was tired. In fact, I'd avoided working out with him for three or so years, but this time I had no option. So I went, no, I had an option, but I chose not to take it. So he's, I'm done, I'm sitting, and he's still continuing. And he says, you know what? When we're climbing Kilimanjaro, they told us that the fittest people are the ones that are least likely to make it. And I asked why, and he says that the problem with fit people is that they, they, they don't pace themselves because they feel like they can do more than they actually should. So what happens is when you are ready for marriage, you are not looking and considering everything. You just are wanting to now marry. So you will settle for a half-baked relationship. You will settle for something that's wrong. But guys, no. Ladies and gentlemen, no. We are not those that will settle. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Why should we live on a lower level? Wow, our time is running. So I'm going to whiz through the next few points. The next problem is style over substance. We want style over substance. Now let me say this. If you look, look, uh, take down Acts chapter 9, 1 to 9, you'll see that's the story of Paul when he had the Damascus experience, right? Amazing, right? And then we have Zacchaeus in Luke 19. (laughs) He was in a tree and he was called down and Jesus went to the house and said, salvation has come to this house. Then we have Matthew. Peter is next to the Sea of Galilee and he's called. And then you have Milton who was sitting round about there in a second service that was talking about fasting. Nothing spectacular. I didn't understand most of it, but I got born again. All of us, the one thing we have in common is that we are all born again, right? Different experiences, some spectacular, some not. See, the problem is that we have heard spectacular stories, outliers of how people met, and now we have made it standard when we feel like if that doesn't happen like that, then that's not from God. No. See, we miss the supernatural whilst looking for the spectacular. You see, I'll quickly tell you the story because it's important. We used to have a lot of cross-culture all over the the city coming together for a camp or whatever. And one day, I was still just, I I used to hang around the leaders of cross-culture then because I was the easy guy to send around. I I liked being sent. sent. So they said to me, this guy comes out and a few weeks later he's got a testimony. He says, I I received the offering. He was a pastor. Uh, for another, not, not yes, lest you try and connect the dots, but he wasn't a borrowed or pastor. But he says, when I came off the altar, wow, 11 o'clock, we praise you, Lord, we honor you. He came off the altar, he says that it's like the room went black and white. And there was one girl who remained in color. And that moment, God spoke to me. They went out, but I can tell you that none of them are married to this point. Guys, Let's keep it simple. See, when... (laughs) Number four, number four, you're slowing me down now. See, the problem is when we look for the spectacular, we end up in witchcraft. And I can see some of you saying, I think I got with my husband in witchcraft. That's not the witchcraft I'm talking about. (laughs) Jeremiah 23, 32 says, oh yes, 
I've had it with the prophets who preach the lies they dream up, spreading them all over the country, ruining the lives of my people with their cheap and reckless lies. I never sent these prophets, never authorized a single one of them. They do nothing for these people, nothing. The lies they dream up. Jeremiah uh, 29, 8, I want you to, to, to see there where it says, dreams which you cause to be dreamed. You see, this business of saying God said you would be my wife. God said you'd be my husband. Some of us, we now use that as witchcraft because it's manipulation. Here's the thing. You always dream about playing soccer with Ronaldo, then he passes to you and you pass to Messi. Now you have a dream about a girl and we must believe that dream. No. Genesis 41, 32, with Pharaoh, it says he dreamt the dreamt twice. And because the thing is established by God. If you have a dream like that, before you run your mouth, ask God to confirm it. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't speak. He does. But when he speaks, what do we do? We read about David. He comes back from a war with, with, the, with, with his troops. They get back to Ziklag and they've been robbed. Long story short, he asks God and God says to him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and you shall recover all. David took 600 men for a fixed fight. For a fixed battle, he took 600 men. 200 of them got tired, and the long story short is, in, in 1 Samuel 13, 6, verse 16, it says that, then David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. Not, not a man of these escaped except for 400. He fought all night, all night. Some of us, if we had been told by God that you shall pursue Overtake, and surely recover all. would have gone and said, hey, enemy, I'm here. God told me that I'm going to surely overtake you. I'm going to recover everything. No, 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 no. Even if God speaks, we still have to act. You see, some of us, if we read a vacancy, tell me if you read a vacancy and you feel like the Spirit of God say to you, that is your job. When they ask you in the interview, please tell us about you. Will, you. will you say, good morning, my name is Milton, and I believe God told me that this is my job? No. So why do you want to do that with, with other people? Now manipulate. No, 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 no. My God, we jump to number five, failure to make quality decisions. Deuteronomy chapter 30, 15 to 19 speaks of us, speaks of God presenting life and death. You see, we cannot make decisions based on right and wrong. That's a lower level because there are some right things that don't lead to life. There are some right things that don't lead us to life. So it's not about, is this the right person to marry? Is there life in this? Is there life? I remember Pastor Mike Tapera, the late, uh, preached a message from the text which says, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. You can marry whoever you want, but it is not beneficial to you to marry anything or everything. Amen. See, talking about decisions, God tells us that he hates divorce, but for there to be divorce, there has to be marriage. And for there to be marriage, there are five things that have to be done. There has to be an exchange of vows, tokens to signify the union, God's blessing, blood covenant, and name change. If you haven't done, done that, it's not too late to break it off. But you're like, no, PMJ, I've been with this guy for three years, so? So you'd rather, you'd rather not want to waste three years of your life and waste the rest of your life. Or maybe you say, but no, 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 but, but, but the problem is sometimes we start living like we're married before we're married. Now I'm not talking about sex. We start buying 
property together. So now you're thinking, if I break up with him, how are we going to split the stand? Or maybe, maybe it's just plans. And saying, you know what, we've got plans for our future, guys. Your plans may fail. Let me just tell you now, your plans actually may fail. So you're going to get stuck with someone who, because of plans that may fail. Just because you've paid lobola doesn't mean you can't break it off. Because in the eyes of God, that's not marriage because it doesn't fulfill the five things that he has said. White wedding, if you've just had a white wedding, it doesn't fulfill those five things. So you're still safe to break it off in the eyes of God, which is most important. Number six is late counsel. Not like, but late counsel. Some of us, we go to people for counsel when it's too late. Show the people the, the, the scriptures, take a picture because we have to waste to, uh, past and go to these two. Sexual sin is one of the biggest poisons. See, whenever we're involved in sexual sin, most of us are concerned with STIs, STDs, pregnancy, being discovered, getting caught. But let me tell you this, these are the least of your worries. See, I've often asked people in uh, different platforms to say, let's say if you and your boyfriend or you and your small house were to go somewhere and then for 48 hours, everywhere you touched each other, you would be swollen for 48 hours, so everyone can see what you've been doing. Would you do it? Most of the people say no. Because they don't want us to see. But the invisible is more real than the visible. There's a God who sees all things. He can see. While you're hiding in a corner and you're saying, ah, PMJ, if he sees me, Milton, if he sees me, no, he may judge me. Look, my judgment <laughs> doesn't matter. I can judge and say, ah, this person is like, but it doesn't matter. What matters is here. God, your relationship up here. We don't matter, ladies and gentlemen. What we say, yes, we will discipline you. We will. But our discipline (laughs) is better than what happened with Samson. Samson was with Delilah the harlot. They're not married. And these are the effects of sexual sin on Samuel's life. Number one, look it up in Judges 16. There was a loss of mission and vision. Remember, his eyes were taken out. Samson's purpose was to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistine. How could he get them out without no eyes? Number two, sexual sin causes you to lose common sense. Samson went to Delilah. Every time Delilah would ask you, he would tell her a lie, and when he would wake up, Philistines would be around him. Common sense should tell you that, you know what, she's trying to get me captured here. There's a story here. But no, when you're in sexual sin, you can see that this is, a, this is death, but you'll go back. Loss of the fear of God. You keep going and increase rather than repent. So it starts off just being once in a while, ooh, we fell, we fell. Ooh. Then it becomes consistent. Then actually, you know what? Let's just do it. Let's get some get, get, get contraception. Because you can't get pregnant. But the killer... Samson woke up and he tried to do all that he used to do, but he had lost God's grace and favor. Guys, you, ladies and gentlemen, sorry, brothers and sisters, you do not want to lose the grace of God that's upon your life. You see, Samson did it many times. He did it many times. It's not like after the third attempt, so you can do twice, and then on the third you stop. No, you'd never know. So your next time after church today may be the straw that breaks the camel's back. We've seen many people that we admired and cried to mentor me, mentor me, mentor me, who we then heard that they they fell. And when you trace back how they fell, it is because they had many sexual issues. God's grace departed. The other thing is that you create a soul tie. A soul tie links up 
at soul level between two people. Can I have eight people? I just need to show this illustration and move to the last point. Four girls and four men. Quickly, okay, five guys. Whoever. Ladies, I need some ladies, please. You guys are wasting my time, guys. I'm mean, taking my time. So you here, come here. You come. So what happens is that you guys, these guys will then, let's say they sleep together, right? And then now there's a soul tie between these two. So now there is an opening of a door in both of them for what she is dealing with to come here, right? So now you come here. And then Linda come. And then this guy says to Linda, hey, Linda, and convinces Linda. So, but what goes is not just him, it's not just Shingi, but they go together. But this girl was actually with Sean before. Come here, Sean. So now <laughs> there's a trailer here. Then Simba comes onto the scene and is like, yeah, 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 I'm a formal guy, come, Linda, come. And then they're walking. But Simba also has a trailer. Let's just all join the trailer. So now when Linda, <laughs> except one, no, face this side now. All of you, Linda, come to, okay, it's fine like this. So now there's Gildred who wants to now marry Ruvimbo, right? And then Ruvimbo walk forward. But there is a trailer. Move, Kaya, the trailer. So there is a trailer here because of soul ties. So you may, the things that have been hounding Tawanda, because the door was opened and transferred and transferred and transferred, you'll find that now it is a part of you. How? Because of soul ties. Take your seats quickly. Allow me to close now with what I call the normalizer. The normalizer, dangerous poison. One of the things I've learned is that a lot of people were sexually abused when they're in different stages of their lives by maids, uncles, aunts, cousins, friends, and a whole lot of people, and in worst cases, by their parents. The unfortunate thing is that they would feel like they can't tell anyone because of the threats by the perpetrator, and also if they spoke, there was protection of the relative. We can't get him arrested. Or because the parents didn't want to be known and have a stigma to say, your child is the one that was raped, they will hide the issue. So what that communicates to the kid or to the child is that all these other things are of more value than I am. If we look in the story of Tamar who was raped by his brother in 2 Samuel 13, 12 to 19, we'll pick it up, because of time we'll pick it up in verse 15. This is after the fact. It says, Amnon hated exceedingly so that he hated the hatred with which he had was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amon said, arise, be gone. She says, no, indeed. This evil of sending me away is worse than the other that you did to me. So rejecting me is actually worse than you raping me. So what happens is we have a child that is raped here and rejected by their parents. Double. Because if you read later in verse uh, 21, it tells us that when King David heard of this, the Bible says he was very angry, full stop. He didn't discipline his son. He didn't comfort his daughter. The daughter, in fact, went and stayed with the brother Absalom. This daughter removed the, the, the coat of many colors, or rather the robe of many colors that the virgin daughters of the king would have. She put ash. She was like, I'm unworthy. Unworthy. And King David just got angry. Tamar cried bitterly, put ash on her head, tore a robe of distinction as one of the king's virgins. Such experiences bring about a feeling of being unworthy of love. A feeling of having no one because when I needed someone to protect me, you are not there. So now 
you want to get into my business and tell me that this is not the man that I should marry. Where were you when I was getting raped? So you feel like you don't listen, you're stubborn, you're arrogant. No, 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 there are layers under there. There are layers under there. Normalize abuse, that's why it's called the normalizer. They begin to feel like, no, 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 that's just how they show love. Have you ever seen someone who is being beaten by their husband? I heard a story of someone who actually says, ah, Baba, it's been two weeks and you haven't hit me. Is everything okay? Do you now have a small house? <laughs> we normalize it. We feel like it's a, it's a show and a sign of love. We feel like we're not good enough. So they're always feeling like they're not good enough. Everything is beyond them. And at the same time, they develop a feeling of always wanting to prove that I'm good enough. So they're always trying, trying to get your affection, trying to gain your, 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 your love by doing extraordinary exploits. They always end up with the same abusive person but in a different container. See, you will find that Absalom was also affected by this and he developed a strong hate for his brother that would even get, to, get him to go against the king. There are some who witnessed abuse, maybe even of sister, friend, mother, or something. So much so that you are filled with hate and have a perception, a wrong perception of what love really looks like. That's why statements like, all oh, men are dogs would come up. Because some people have seen certain things and they've observed certain things and they're like, no, I'm done. We actually have ladies in this church who've said, I will not get married. We have people in this church who have said, I will not marry someone from Celebration Church just because they were hurt by someone in this church. Or they witnessed an abuse, took third-party offense. You see how dangerous it is with Absalom. If you are here, you see a lot of teens go through this. What happens, it's holiday time now. There are hangouts, there are parties that happen. And what happens is that the guys will spike drinks and that they will incapacitate you and then they will rape you. My wife went for a party when she was a teenager. And what began to happen is that they began to play porn on the screen with her friends. She felt very, very uncomfortable but the friends were like, I oh, know, let's just stay, let's just stay. And then what happened is one of the guys then picked her and actually then abused her with the friends not stopping but cheering on. Her saying no, but the friends are like, no, just do it. These things happen, parents. And you may actually never know because the, the, the kids are scared of your reaction. Because when you're told something like that, first reaction is, why did you go to that party? That's not it. That's not it. That's David-like. That's David-like. It should be an opportunity for you to embrace your son or your daughter and be able to say, son, I'm sorry. Not blow a gasket. Angry, upset, shouting, even if you're angry at the next person they may feel that you have some sort of anger with them. Leave the, leave the next person alone. Focus on your kid, your child. Ipapo, right there. You see, these things happen and you, you, you may never forget that it happened, but you can be healed of that. And I believe that God wants to heal 
people that have been abused physically, verbally, emotional, whatever abuse has taken place in your life, I believe that tonight is the, this morning rather. And even tonight, because Pastor Franz will be speaking about iniquity and all these things, these things can, then be, can, can even be broken. Bring other people tonight. But this morning, I believe that there's a grace for those things to break open. Let me tell you why. I'm not a big dreamer. I don't remember dreams that I have. But when I remember a dream, it's like, in fact, I went for a wedding yesterday and halfway through the ceremony, I stepped back and I'm like, no, 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 no. This looks all too familiar. Before Pastor Tad spoke to me about this, I had two incidents. I dreamt that the first time that I would minister in a morning service, God spoke to me and says that there will be healing of all those that were abused. And for me, a morning service was nowhere in sight. This is about a few weeks ago. Maybe two weeks before you spoke to me, Pastor Tad, I had that dream. And I'm not sure if it was a few days before or a few days after, but I woke up and my wife was crying next to me. And she was crying and she was saying, Why, how come there wasn't anyone there for me? How come no one could protect me? She's been healed. I was part of the deliverance sessions that she had to go through. But you don't forget such things. This morning, church, I want us to take this very seriously. Because I'm here to tell you, to borrow from the phrase, he died for that too. For some of you, you are now so used to the pain that you would rather be left like that. If you watch TV shows, you see that someone can, be, uh, can have a knife in their leg and they will put, be put on a stretcher with a knife. The paramedics won't remove it. They will actually support it to make sure that it doesn't move until they get to the operating room where the surgeons can now begin to cut and begin to do this and then remove the knife, control the bleeding, fix what needs to be fixed and stitch up and then in a few weeks you may be walking with a limp but you're walking again. I believe that this is a moment where a lot of people are entering their operating room right now where a pain that has been in your leg for a long time is about to be removed. Pastor Ray said that this is a destiny-defining service. I believe that he, he, he caught something to say their destinies and people that have been going through things that is coming to an end. Now, 2018 is not over for you. It is not over. Because after this, some of you will have testimonies of how things begin to shift or began to shift after you were delivered from the pain and the hurt that you had from that abuse. The Bible says in Joel 2, 25 to 27, so I will restore the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be put to shame. Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God. And there is no other. My people, almost like emphasis, shall never be put to shame. You're not going to enter 2019 like this. In fact, it ends today and December is going to be full of testimonies for you. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.